So today we're going to talk about what foam rolling is, where it comes from, what's probably happening mm -hmm. when you foam roll, what probably isn't happening when you foam roll, mm -hmm. uh, how you should use it, how much you should use of it, uh, how to know if it's even helping, uh, like what are the more objective things that you can take away from it and not just the feelings that are associated. And then how do you take advantage of the windows of opportunity that it provides? Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. And those are the things oh, that we'll talk you, about today. You, but but see, by, by you finishing with that statement, you have you have led us in an interesting little direction, haven't you? Why is that? You said windows of opportunity. Okay. That implies a lack of permanence. Where did you go? Oh, this is impossible. Well, sure. It's what yeah. we're talking about. We're talking about viscoelasticity and the one of the previous episodes. I don't know, was it was yeah. the stretching one. We talked about that. Yeah. Things change. Well, there's always a, a gradient of, of motion and change. And there you go. Now you, you just threw out another, you threw out another word. Yeah. Right. Gradient. So it's ad adaptability, ability to change, that things are always in flux. There's no, static representations aren't useful because that's not how anything works. Everything expands and compresses. Well, it's not, it's not that they're not useful. It's just that we need to understand the, the limit upon which that, that model uh, influences the way that we, we see things, right? Yeah, because um, it's, it's only taking a snapshot, which means that right. you've taken time because and space sort of out of it. That would that would imply that a, that a static activity would would be of no use, which th that's not the case, right? Um, but but let's 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 get back on topic here. Since yeah, we're, let's talk about since we're talking. About, uh, right? It would be very it would be very uh, unlike us to get off topic about any of these things. Oh, look, a bird. All right, so foam rolling. Uh, we're gonna yes. we're gonna talk. So we're, we're gonna terrible. talk about the history it's, of it. It's horrible. It's useless. Don't do it. What a waste well, of time. Well, it's funny because I have personally, uh, in my profession of you know being a coach and trainer, sports performance coach, whatever, personal trainer, all these hats that I've worn. I, I was a thing I was way into yeah. back in like, you know, 2008, early 2000s. And then I got completely away from it altogether until very recently, honestly. Right. And it's, it's I, we're going to talk about like, where that comes from and why that is and all these things yeah. like that um but let's i think talking about the history of it and maybe will be kind of helpful and yeah. then i i don't want to i don't want to just completely pigeonhole us into just talking about foam rollers we can also right. talk about other like you know massage guns and percussive sure. devices and things that have become very important and uh significant for people right and then uh we're also going to talk about shape change because yeah. that's going to be eventually what we get towards the end of like why we believe and we see that these things actually can be helpful. Yeah. So from a historical perspective, when doing research on some of this stuff, uh, Mosh, Mosh, Mosha, Moshi, Moshi Felden, Moshi, Moshi Feldenkrais. Moshi. Yes. Um, in the, I mean, he's was a physicist, engineer, martial artist from Israel. Yudoka, I believe. Yeah, a very uh, a high high level martial artist, uh, engineer, and physicist, and started. 
I, I believe he hurt himself playing soccer. And, it was a knee injury, I believe, to be specific. And then as it was not be able to get very good care and sort of took it on himself to sort of learn the mechanics of the human body and and understanding like his, I think his martial arts background and honestly, all of the different uh, yeah, aspects so of his life he was able to pull from made him sort of understand movement through this kind of a similar way that, that we talk about it, maybe with some specific differences. But anyways, he... Um, in the 70s, I believe, when he came to the United States, uh, he was introduced to packaging uh, rollers, like these yes. foam rollers that get used for packaging. And then that concept was introduced to some people in the Broadway uh -huh. world. Uh -huh. And a lot of these dancers and Broadway actors started using this. And this was in the 80s and the 90s. Uh -huh. And it became a very sort of outskirt, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't as well known of a device to sort of help and it was useful for if you're on stage jumping around and dancing for eight shows a week it was very helpful for some of these actors to kind of get their right. legs to recover they didn't really have can i tell a story uh can i I'll, let me let me just talk about the the history of it up until now and then you can tell your story okay is that that's, is that okay it's historical it's a story Okay, well, if if this if it exists within the 1980s to 1990s, then let's talk about it. Okay, cool. Uh, the, the very first course that I attended as a student, as a PT student, was actually a course on foam rolling, and it was delivered by a PT by the name of Brian Hausworth. And and Brian was actually a Feldenkrais uh, credentialed practitioner. I don't know if there was an association at the time. But you were talking about the packing foam roller. So what Brian used to have to do, they came in nine-foot lengths. Right. So it was, the, it was nine feet by six inch diameter and you have to cut them himself. I remember this very specifically, but this was actually the first course that I went to. And, and clearly there was a there was an, a, an, an effect that as we were participating in this. And basically it was just, you know, uh, Brian and his business partner creating a whole bunch of, of activities and things that you could do on a foam roller from you know, some uh, other dynamic stuff, some balance oriented stuff, but but the the things that, that really seemed to be impactful were the things that we were doing, but that were um, on the order of sort of like an applied manual technique via, via the foam rollers. So this goes way back. So before you were born, um, when, when, when I first started in, in PT, um, I was way ahead of the game there. It was my, literally it was, it was my, my first course, but I want to give credit to Brian because he, he seemed like a really good dude. I don't know if he's still around or not. Yeah, but I didn't. Um, I forgot to, I forgot the name of the the guy that introduced it to the Broadway folks, but I didn't, I didn't put him on my list. Um, but anyway, so that was being used and that, and then it started to, that started to branch out into dancers. And I'm sure there were uh -huh. other people that had learned through word of mouth that this was like a great way to recover your muscles and move better and feel better. And then uh, um, a PT by the name of Mike Clark in early 2000s sort of started to popularize it even more. And then funny and interestingly enough, uh, yourself, Eric Cressy and Mike Robertson actually in around the, in the 2000s, 2008, I believe is when you guys started releasing. Never, the, never heard uh, of us. Never heard of So <laughs> well, I'll post, I'll post a bunch of pictures of uh, magnificent mobility and excessive. I, I had nothing, I had nothing to do with magnificent mobility. So you're, you were part of what the assessment correct. Assessment correct. Yes. And assessment Mike correct. and Mike and Eric had been making, because back then, the, the buzzwords for it were self-myofascial release. Right. right? That Probably was the, the fancy. Probably a bit, yeah, of a, a, a bit A bit of a misnomer. But I want we're going to talk about that also. So that's like, um, 
So we went from, you know, the 70s through the early 2000s. And now we have these things that are just like everywhere. You buy them at Dick's Sporting Goods and they're just right. at Kmart and Walmart. And I don't know if Kmart's a real store anymore. Yeah. Um, and then as an aside to that, massage guns, the percussive therapy devices have been around since like the 40s, maybe even earlier than that. And they've always they've been used as a tool. They used to just be freely available in gymnasiums and gyms. You would just like have right. these strange machines that you would just get vibrated on. Yeah, there's there's there like a roller thingy that you sat on. There was the belt thingy that that vibrated. Yeah, it just shook you, you and yeah, yeah. And they would say uh -huh. they say all sorts of different things about what exactly. was happening and. Yeah, it was just it was uh, grinding up the fat cells and stuff yeah. like that, or whatever, whatever they wanted to try to say. Um, and then 2008 is when a, I believe it was a chiropractor, I forgot his name, uh, got into some type of accident and he created this gun, the the Theragun or whatever right. it's become now. I, they, they've changed the name of it, uh, the branding of it, because I don't think they wanted to be associated with guns. Um, but either way, so that that's that's when people talk about foam rolling and self massage and self myofascial release and these sort of catchphrase buzzworthy right. things, they they think about uh, these things and these these are where they've come from. Just a brief history of that, mm -hmm. and then I think it'll be good for us to kind of talk about what what originally was thought was happening, what you and I might have thought or told people was happening, and how that perspective has evolved. Yeah over time so in the beginning it was a lot about this like we were saying self myofascial release and these big words to try to describe how right so let me let me let me let me baby step back to my little experience with my first course and so sure. about that time so this is this is very early 1990 91 and it was very popular to take myofascial release courses so that was one of the big big brands that were out to teach the continuing education. So Do you know who started that concept or who popularized uh, that concept? The, well, the, the, the most popular one at the time was, I believe, John Barnes. Okay. Um, and, but there was a whole lot of woo that was kind of associated with it that, that doesn't hold a lot of water. The mechanical application of the technique, useful, um, but again, I think the, the the reasoning behind it and the way it was expressed was was probably a, a little difficult to believe at the time. Um, but I think that because of that and and the prolific nature of that, how it sort of spread, like stuff spreads through the the rehab realm, the fitness realm. You know, it's, it's like something becomes popular that gets a massive. Um, swing of the pendulum in one direction where everybody has to do that. And then it kind of like levels out kind of like foam rolling. Um, yeah. but, but I think that because of the, the association of that, that's where the sort of the, the, the self myofascial release came from because myofascial release as a, as a manual technique was extremely popular about the same time that the, the foam rollers really became popular. So I think that's why it, why it was associated with it. And the fact and that then you when by yourself, the, it's like, what a great thing. You don't have to go see a myofascial release practitioner. You can just do it yourself. Yeah. So myofascial meaning just the interconnected relationship of muscles and fascia, right? All the stuff yeah, that connective creates tissue connective and, tissue yeah. and how the connective tissues run throughout the body and how there's a sort of like regional, they call it like regional interdependence of things where right. I can, I can roll my foot and that tissue will actually affect the tension in my shoulders and vice versa. Yeah. how there's like this web of tissue that all sort of relates to each other a web yeah there's there's we a can, 
there's a book called The Endless Web. Yeah, is that who, whose a, book is that? Um, I can't remember the author. Um, I'll probably post. I'll probably post some of Feldon Kreis's yeah, we books. We mentioned it. We mentioned it, so we should just post the post the link to Endless Web. Yeah, the Endless Web, and then I can't remember the names of uh, Moshe's Moshe's books off the top of my head, but I have a couple there's of them a, that I'll, I'll post. Few, I think it, I think if you just post the the spelling to his last name, yeah, yeah, because because it, 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 I mean, it it, it be, like his his name now is synonymous with a practitioner. Yeah. Like, it's well, it's like a method. It's a method. Yeah. There's a school, yeah. a practice of it. You can actually yeah. take classes. And, and actually a lot, and a lot of the, a lot of the, the rolling techniques um, are associated with, with that type of an activity. A lot of the ground-based activities that you'll see um, that are used for, for self-mobilization, if you will, um, reduction of muscle activity, all very useful. Yeah. And that's one of the big, it's just getting on the ground and like, you know, giving, you're kind of giving up to gravity in a way. Yeah. So you're not, you're reducing this tension and allowing movement to happen without this sort of an internal resistance or external resistance right. from muscles. And, and, and that is, that is an element of the applied foam rolling methods. Right. Right. So yeah. the other, the other things, so we talked about self myofascial release, which is a, we'll talk about, further about being more of a kind of a misnomer trigger points trigger point release so these magical spots that get hot and tight uh that need to be released because of adhesions is another thing that i wrote down adhesions that are built up because of the the lactic acid that's been increased and i'm flushing (laughs) lactic acid out and i'm rolling acid out People still say so. It's it's interesting when when people when people find something that works and they they find a reason for why it works and it sounds scientific and like it actually makes well, sense. They just sort of hang on to it for years. We're talking think, like almost think, twenty years I, at this point. I, I I think it it has to do with the word acid. So acid implies something bad. Right? Yeah, the, I mean we we can talk like, about this. Like lactic I, I, acid I'm, must be bad. If I can I'm, get rid of lactic acid, that must yeah. be. Bad. If I have I'm staying a little more reserved, but when it comes to like triggering things, I hate when people talk about lactic acid because it <laughs> never exists. It might exist in a very dissociative like, way. It there doesn't might exist be a brief moment in time where it is lactic acid. But from what I've what I've heard from physiologists when I was at the University of Colorado is like it's almost instantaneously dissociated. If it, if it does ever bind together. So we're talking about lactate and we're talking about hydrogen ions. Yeah. And when, when both of those things are together in a solution, that solution is more acidic, but it is not lactic acid. Right. Exactly. So exactly. It, that's, and that, and it's not even the, the burning that you're feeling is because oh. of the hydrogen ions. <laughs> and, and also the lactate that's associated isn't a negative thing at all. It's actually very useful it's and a helpful as, as a buffer, buffer and as a potential yeah. fuel source for Absolutely. energy production. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my, I don't want to get too much into that. But no, but that's, if someone, no, that, that's great because you, you hit the highlights. You hit the most important things. Like people that watch this are going to walk away with certain things. And then, so, okay, lactic acid, not bad, could be good. It's a buffer. It buffers the hydrogen. It's awesome. Could be an energy source. Awesome. So it's not a bad thing. It just it's also it, it's not like Bill said lactic acid, but that's not what it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, I was making reference to to the uh, well you could tell you can tell your friends now when they say something about lactic acid they'll be like that's not a thing no just all you gotta do is in response you go do you mean lactate 
Yeah. Do you mean lactate and hydrogen ions? Yeah. And then people are like, oh, what's the difference? I'm like, well, if you look at <laughs> it, is, it's not bound. It's not an actual chemically, it's not a chemical yeah, we're component. Gonna, we're giving them great talking points. This is going to be awesome. People will love this. <laughs> yeah, people people really love when their friend is is like a contrarian and will just say, actually, it's like Oscar from The Office is the, the, the annoying character that would always have a, a reason for, actually, it's this. No, no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to Yeah, I'll, I'll put actually, a clip in because he will insert himself into just about actually, any conversation to add facts or correct grammar. Maybe nine people. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, I'll just keep referring to that. Okay, moving on from that. Golgi ten, Golgi tendon organs, spindle fibers, autonomic tone, and loosening of muscles associated with that. Sure. So talking about there's parts of parts of the the muscle the receptors in muscle that if you press on them long enough they'll sort of give way and okay, loosen well, hang things. On, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. How do you how do you get the information to the receptors? So that's going to be that's going to be a biggie, right? Are you asking me? No, I'm just I'm just saying it like that's that's a big part of this mechanism. But you have to you have yeah. to say like where do these things lie? Where almost everything that you named. Right. So the muscle spindle itself is in the interfusal muscle fiber. So, that, so there's a specialized muscle fiber that measures um, length and rate of length change in the muscles. But it's also connected to everything through connective tissues. And so you most of your receptors that you're going to be playing with in any form of movement or any application of load, force, pressure, tension, vibration are going to be associated with their receptors in the connective tissues. That's where most of it lies. So that's that's the area that we're strongly communicating with. So as a as a side note, did you know about 30% of the people watching this right now are not subscribed to your YouTube channel, Bill? Well, what are they thinking? I don't know. So why don't you go ahead and click the subscribe button right now if you're still watching this. Although statistically speaking, we're about 15 to 18 minutes into the podcast, so most people aren't watching anymore. <laughs> it's okay. There was there there are people that have commented that they hit that they named their favorite superhero, and so they did watch all the way. That's through. true. Maybe maybe we'll since we're about, we're about halfway through, we can we can have people put a. But I, I want to know what I want to know what superhero movies people are excited for, or if people have, are completely disenfranchised by the ideas now. It seems like the as more yeah, superhero movies come out, fewer people are interested in them. Yeah, they're just less interesting. So let us know if you guys are 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 excited for any of that stuff. And if you don't like superheroes, then maybe this isn't the place for you. <laughs> Bill, I don't Bill think that, and I, I don't think that's accepting a requirement. Of, I don't think that's a fair requirement. Well, Bill and I probably wouldn't hang out with you in real life if you didn't like comic books. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, okay, so we we talked about things that models that people have used as ways to explain what is happening. And those things that we're saying are probably not happening or are potentially misnomers. But that doesn't change the outcome that you're going to get from using the foam roller. No, but it, so it, also, it also answers the question why there's so much variability in what is considered the available research for foam rolling is because nobody really knows like a best way to apply it for the greatest return on investment. I think I think right. that's one of the, 
that's one of the bigger concerns is because they say, oh, it needs to be 90 seconds to two minutes for this. And then you'll see like, they'll see somebody else run the same protocol. They won't get the, the same return on investment. So there's a tremendous amount of variability in the research itself. It's like they try to combine it with other things. Like they'll say, oh, we do stretching and we do foam rolling and we didn't see the benefit. But if we change the sequence of events, then there seems to be a benefit to it, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, how are you leading into it? But I, but I, I think our perspective on this is quite a bit different than what I think most people would consider it for. Right. So that, so kind of going back to what we've spoken about already, the things that we've said aren't the things that Bill and I believe are the reasons why, or the underlying mechanisms or principles that apply to why foam rolling can be helpful for capturing range of motion or getting rid of, uh, course and like uh injury types of sensations and negative uh painful sensations and things like that and we'll we'll get more into that in a bit like we'll talk so we talked about what probably isn't happening let's talk a bit about what probably is and then how we can actually use it can i talk a little bit about pressure sure let's yeah let's talk about shapes and pressures and volumes okay. and all right so so there's a really cool and this kind of leads into um, some of the some of the comments you made about the tender spots in muscles and then muscles that you would mean be trigger hard. points. Uh, that's not what I said. I said the sore spots, the sore spots in muscles, and then Looking from the adhesions. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So there are there are bonds, there are hydrogen bonds that would take place between water and tissue and tissue and tissue that that can occur. Um, so, so again, that stuff does exist from an adhesion standpoint. I think the way that pe most people would, would consider it is it, it gets lumped into like, a the, the discussion of scarring and things like that, um, under many circumstances, if you have a true adhesion, you're not going to eliminate it with any form of manual therapy, um, yeah. because th there would be potential destruction of tissue that would be associated with. with yeah. And then I was, I was going to, this is another sort of like triggering thing that I was people talking about, like breaking up scar tissue and stuff. And no. I used to get, so I used to get the Graston technique done, which is uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, cause I had a hole in my hamstring basically when I was an athlete in college and the, uh, it, it certainly helped, but the amount of pressure and you, so they use metal instruments and they basically like turn your muscle into mush by just rubbing on it as hard as they can. And the amount of pressure that it takes and the, how hard you have to push on something and how much pain is associated to actually create a change in scar tissue and breaking up tissue is much more than you're going to get from rolling on a piece of foam. Yeah, it's, it's a lot easier with a knife to get rid of those things. Yeah, but, yeah. And even that, like, like surgically, when they remove, when they truly do go in and they try to remove this this type of tissue from, like, somebody has a restricted joint that's associated truly with with a a, a scarring um, process. Um, when you scrape that tissue away, you actually create an irritation that promotes scar tissue formation. So it's kind of like a double whammy there. You have to you have a window of opportunity where you may be able to make some changes, but it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Um, what was? Yeah, sorry, I took I took you away. We were we were talking about the physics and pressure volume. Oh yeah, okay. So there's there's so here's a, here's a really cool thing. So when you, when you talk about contracted areas of uh, where you have prolonged muscle activity, so you would have orientations that are associated with positions, 
and um, and movement behaviors. Some of it's your physical structure, some of it's training related, etc. cetera. Um, you're gonna have areas that might be in a sustained state of, of, of activity. Um, and then we, we kind of talked about um, the, the going back to your lactate discussion, we talked about accumulation of hydrogen ions and things like that. There could be ir areas of ir irritation. So if you look at the, the, the pH, so this is the acid-base balance of, of certain areas, you will have the increased acidity that would be associated with the hydrogen ions will actually lower the pH. The cool thing about applied pressure to those areas is you actually get a pH change in the opposing direction. So the cool thing about that is, is so pH is a measure of, of, of pluses and minuses for the lack of, of a better explanation. So if I can change an area that, that um, has a lot of plus, that would be high acidity and I apply pressure to it and I get more accumulation of minus, not only do I change the pH, but I also get a shape change in the tissues itself. So the elements that are actually the contractile elements can actually change shape that would be associated with that. So this might actually promote the reduction in muscle activity. Yay, go team, because this is what we're trying to shoot for in many of these cases anyway. So all of your manual therapies would then have this element in common. Um, so whether you're applying it with your hands, whether you're doing something with like a floor contact that becomes useful, or we get something that we would consider a little bit more focal where we're using a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, any of the tools that, that are sold um, in, this, in this same realm of, of application to try to make um, a, a movement change or a tissue level behavior change. All of these things would have that, that element in common. Okay. That's kind of cool because that's that's electrochemical. So it's it's a mechanical application that results in a chemical electrical change. And we and we this has been measured. So so it does does have a foundation. Right. And that's that'll play into the window of opportunity that's created. And but there are also so that's certainly one aspect of what's happening, but there's also the just the the shape change element right. and what what you actually can get by rolling like what are you rolling right you're rolling the the active tissues and the passive tissues so the muscles the tendons the connective tissues and the bones that are underneath and those bones are all designed to change shape and you know expand and compress and you see that in the rib cage you see that in the pelvis you see that in the skull you see that in the feet so when i roll through these segments i can actually promote certain types of expansion and compression that can be opposing what are the typical compressive responses of the human body so right. we have we have a lot of prime movers that are going to squeeze us predominantly from front to back so if i'm looking down the down from the head down to the feet and i i have these muscles these all the the showy muscles that i would work out in the gym with my bodybuilding program are actually going to squeeze the container yeah and that's that why will, you get that wider will... that's why you get wider when you do all the big muscle activities so so yeah and you have the fake <laughs> the fake lats you're it's, really it's gonna talk about that We've already talked about it. I've already posted it. I already put a video of a guy walking with fake lats. I don't even think that guy's walking with fake lats. I think he's just so compressed that his arms have to stay in that position. Um, but yeah, so that you, me getting on a foam roller and, and rolling the side of my hip or someone saying like, oh, well, I'm rolling my IT band. It's like, well, yeah, maybe, but also you're getting lateral pressure and you're actually right. moving, you're moving tissues. You're allowing bones yeah. to reorient so here's while you are breathing and driving motion. Yeah, here's what we know about that that type of a shape change. So there's actually a 
there's actually a, a, a study, uh, the researcher's name was Takashima. And, um, and so what they looked at, they were looking at, they, 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 they put, I, I can't remember um, how they, they created this, the sensors, but they put sensors basically across your chest, the lower part of your chest and your abdomen. And what they looked at is- I think it was like some type of metal tape, wasn't it? And an X-ray? <laughs> Uh, th okay, that's like that's like way back. That's like Goldthwait. Yeah, that's like Goldthwait okay. and, and body mechanics. That's that's like that's like pre, you know, computer stuff. That's like that's how they that's how they they measured shape change. That's like the book that I have is 1952, but I I have a, a, a quote from Goldthwait from 1922. So yeah. who knows how far back that that element goes? So wherever whenever X-rays showed up in the early 1900s, I'm sure that somebody somebody did it that way. Point being is, um, so what we know is like when you land your back, you're going to be a certain shape. So, so think about all your innards falling towards the, the surface that you're laying on. So if you lay on the floor, you lay flat on the floor on your back, all your guts and stuff are going to fall towards the backside of your body. And then they spread out sideways because that's what water does. So you're essentially water. So you're a big bag of water. So you lay that way. Okay. When you lay on your side, the same thing's going to happen. So you roll over to your side, the stuff falls towards the floor, but, but now the expansion is going to be anterior to posterior. So you're going to get bigger front to back instead of just side to side. The superficial muscles that, that tend to get trained or tend to be utilized for a compensatory movement and breathing strategies for the stuff that squeeze you front to back. We don't have any great muscles that squeeze you in from the sides. So that's why this orientation relative to the floor. So just using the floor, take the foam roller out of it, just using the floor now becomes beneficial for the shape changes that we're talking about that will help you restore the ability to turn and then move more freely. Now, that's the floor. What if we take something that's quote unquote pointier? So we've got a rounded surface now that's a little bit more focal. And so now we can start to influence things on a more focal level. So we can move our body over these, these points of contact and create a little bit more of a focal pressure. So we get a stronger, potentially stronger response, a more focal representation. So now when we're talking about shape change and movement, we have our external rotations, our internal rotations that we, we primarily would focus on. And we can, we can influence the physical shape of the body that gives us a temporary window of opportunity to capture some of these motions in another activity that will allow us to learn how to maintain our ability to turn and move into internal and external rotation. How is that for a long explanation? It was good. And I think I, I, I've been thinking as you're talking about like an analogy that I think is simple and will help people understand is if I have a if I have a brick of clay and I want to mold that brick into like the shape of a human body. First yeah. thing I'm going to do is I'm going to throw the brick on the ground and I'm going to roll the brick out to try to get that sort of roundness to come back and take the shape from using the ground. And then I can actually use tools, smaller tools to apply more specific pressure to parts of the brick in order yeah. to create a shape change. Absolutely. That I can use to create my figurine or whatever statue yeah. I'm trying to make out of the clay. So yeah. we've we've talked about the biochemical things that can potentially be happening that are useful for muscle relaxation and the, how the muscles are going to affect the shape of the container and the, the person that we're trying to affect. And the floor can also help with that sort of physical change of shape. Right. And we're talking about pointier objects, smaller objects, different densities of objects to try to continue that shape change that can be more targeted towards certain parts of the body 
Now, these are the things that we're saying are the useful aspects of using tools like this. How do we use them? Like, how do we how do we utilize these tools in order to change? Let's we're talking we talk about what people typically use this for is to help warm up, to to loosen up, to capture range of motion into lower right. pain, painful responses. Right. OK, so so now we're talking about dose and response, right? Yes. OK, poorly defined in the literature. It's just yeah, it's, it's there, are some, there are some protocols that appear to have some benefit, um, but um, we, we have to consider the fact that maybe doing a little bit more is more beneficial. Maybe doing a little bit less is less beneficial. You're going to introduce this gradually, just like every other intervention, because you don't know what your tolerance is going to be. So some people get, get a little bit of benefit from, from literally 30 to 60 seconds of application, and they immediately go into overload mode and they think, okay, more is definitely better. And then they wake up the next day and now you have um, discomfort. Bruising in a lot of cases. Yeah, which is what we don't, which is what we do. Because you like, think about it, you're, you're, if you're putting body weight onto a, a focal point, if you will. Um, and again, when we say point, it's a, it's a round surface under most cir circumstances, but it is a focal pressure. Yeah, you can make yourself pretty darned uncomfortable. Um, again, just, just because of the normal application of pressure, if somebody poked you in one spot in the arm a thousand times, yeah, it's going to get, get sensitive and sore and, and potentially discolored and, and all that good stuff. Um, so again, so you gradually introduce this, this kind of a thing. But when we think about like changing a pelvis shape, for instance, um, in, in some instances, doing it for several minutes at a time can be useful if you graduate gradually into using it for that purpose. So, um, you know, changing a, a, the, the pelvis shape, for instance, into one that is um, less oriented towards, say, high speed activities versus high force activities. So, so there's, if you look at different types of people, um, if you looked at a, a typical basketball player and then a super heavyweight power lifter, those are really good examples of two different body types. One moves very, very quickly and explosively. One moves with very, very high force. They have different physical structures. Our pelvises move through these, these within a specific range or whatever your capabilities may be. And that's where we start to see some of the benefits of different aspects of range of motion, different aspects of force production. And, but we can access bony shape change. We can access difference in, in muscle activity in cooperation. And then we get a, a potentially favorable outcome. But some of this takes minutes to create a sufficient shape change to see the return on investment. But yeah. again, you've got to build up to it. and for some people, it's not good for them. They're not going to like it. They just don't like it. It doesn't feel good. Well, you certainly like, yeah, if you very well to it, if you're dealing with circulatory issues, you have fibromyalgia or any types so of these are, right. these are contraindications. These are things that you do not, you do not right. want to deal with this. If you fracture, have like the, the, the obvious yeah. like fractures, no, right. Um, people that have hardware in bones, um, probably not a great solution under many right. circumstances. Anyone who's a, at a risk for like a, a DVT or some type of stroke based on circulatory issues probably shouldn't be rolling their veins and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah, it's you like, want to knock a blood clot loose. Correct, correct. And so so just like anything else, it, it, it's like there, there are prerequisites to being able to do anything on, on this order, right? So yeah. It's like, 
Like, don't just freely assume that that everything's okay. Consider your history. Talk to the right uh, health professional before you partake. That way, yeah. you cover your butt. So our intention on trying to get people to understand the reason why to be doing this is not just to blindly roll all of your muscles to get them to loosen up. That might feel good. And that might be something you do on like a recovery oriented day, but it's targeting specific areas to, to piggyback off what you were saying, having people understand that if we're talking about this gradient of motion in the pelvis specifically, I'm going to have a representation that's more expanded that allows me to move through space. And I'm going to have a representation that allows me to put force down into the ground, which are going to be two of the things that I need to be able to do to kind of walk through my world. Right. Is I need to be able to capture the range of motion to put my leg out in front of me. And then I need to be able to make a shape that allows me to put proper force down underneath me into the ground to keep moving forward. And when I get too far pushed in one of these directions, I, like Bill, I mentioned earlier, I'm in compensation land and I have to use all these muscles more often that are just going to keep squeezing me. I'm just, it's like a boa constrictor just over time, just squeezing me from front to back. Yes. And those are the people that need to go see Bill because they get so pushed far towards what you would call end game of right. compensation right. that they've run out of options to expand and capture range of motion and compress and put force down into the ground. So we want to be able to use the foam roller in order to do that. So I think we should probably give a couple examples of maybe just at the, at the hips, because a lot of people have tight hips and front of their, their thighs are tight and the inside of their groin, all these things that attach into that area. Mm -hmm. You want an example of an activity? Yeah, I'm just thinking like, and we were talking about the lateral component, how there isn't any sort of active tissue that squeezes you laterally right. so we can get that. So rolling, you know, people tend to just roll the length of their muscle and then move on just very like uh, very sagittal representation front to back like they roll they roll with the long axis of their, of their yeah body. so like they roll their quads straight up and down or they roll their triceps straight up and down or they roll their calves straight up and down and not taking into consideration these rotational components so, to the muscles yeah so if you were to if you were to um lay with the roller perpendicular to your to your body Okay, at the level of the pelvis. So not on the pointy stuff, not on the pointy bones, but there's some mushy stuff between the pointy bones. Um, and you and you roll like a log roll across the, the roller with, with your body perpendicular. That's sort of like squeezing the pelvis in from the sides, which actually increases the anterior posterior diameter. So it's very similar to just laying on your side, but now we've got the focal pressure. And that's what we're talking about. This is and what you may be able to do here um, is, is maybe get a picture or a video yeah. that we would have that we can run right down here in this area, maybe like right here. As we're yeah, well, we'll just put it over my face because you're pointing <laughs> to the area where, where I am on the screen. No, just to give just to give people a, a representation because again, it's like like it would be great if we had muscles that that would work in the opposing strategies because if we did, we could emphasize those and we could solve this problem that we that is associated with our loss of of movement and then the the compression that you were describing about the shape change because we need the opposing shape change, and so we just need a little yes. bit of help. So, so that type of an activity is what we're kind of talking. Yeah. Okay. So that, yeah, that's, that's helpful. I think that'll be good uh, sort of understanding that it's not just blindly rolling muscle tissue. Right. We actually want to try to, we're trying to change the shape of the the bones and yeah. how the, how the bones move because the position of the bone will actually influence the way that the muscle activity can occur. And vice versa. Okay. okay. And then this sort of 
once I'm able to acquire these positions and take on these shapes, then it's more about well, how do I use this sort of window of opportunity? So then these are when we have, you know, to activities and exercises where we might squat or lunge or do a step up and actually be able to, or even do running type of drills. If I have an athlete and I want to try to help them uh, with being able to get in and out of a cut right. um, or being able to accelerate and slow down, like all of these things, all of these mo- ranges of motion can be captured and utilized better if I can use this shape change. Right. This this is an adjunct to most likely what you're already doing, um, especially when when you do struggle to access certain positions, because all positions are shapes. This gives you an element of shape change that, as you stated early on, gives you the window of opportunity to access a position. So we talk about feet a lot, like how your foot should be on the ground or how your your hips may have to move to access a certain position, like in a split squat or a squat. And sometimes it's just a matter of having access to the position. We acquire the position first, then we use it in the dynamic activity, and that's what allows it to be maintained um, for a more prolonged period of time, at least. Right. Yeah. And let's I think another before we before we wrap up here, I think another good example would be to maybe talk about the foot. And if I have like a high arched individual and what what is actually creating the tension that's keeping that that arch up there that I might if I roll on it might release. But the mechanisms that we're talking about and the by the shape change that's created by maybe rolling on a tennis ball or something like that. Yeah, like it gets really popular in the the uh, unfortunate plantar fasciitis diagnosis world. Um, sure. So, so people that have pain on the bottom of their feet, they're, they're, they're often told to, like, say, let's see, roll the frozen water bottle, um, get the tennis ball, use a lacrosse ball, uh, PVC pipe, rolling it with the bottom of your foot kind of a thing. And so it's the same, it's the same, uh, representation we're talking about. So we're trying to apply pressure to tissues that will respond in a certain way. Um, We're potentially creating a bony shape change that would be associated with muscle activity, gravity, and the pressures. And so again, that gives us an opportunity to to make a a physical change that you may not be able to do with just um, the the typically applied uh, exercises. So um, part of the problem that we run into especially when we're standing on our feet is the position of our center of gravity. Um, And all you have to do is stand up in bare feet and just kind of lean forward over your feet and you'll feel your toes kind of grab the ground and you'll feel the tension increase in your foot. Now, what you may not perceive under normal circumstances is that your body is actually doing this and you don't recognize this progressive increase in muscle activity that takes place on the bottom of your foot. This becomes a learned behavior. This promotes a shape change in the direction that you may not want to acquire. And now you're in a position that is that feels relatively permanent. And so then this could produce pressures, tensions, um, in very specific areas that would be associated with a diagnosis. So you get heel pain, and they say, oh, you have plantar fasciitis, or you go to the, to the doc and they take an x-ray and there's, there's some calcific changes that are in the bottom of your foot and they go, oh, you have a bone spur. Don't worry about bone spurs. They tend to not actually be painful. They just tend to be there at the same time that you have other stuff. Um, so don't panic about that. Um, but, but point being is, is you have a center of gravity issue. Well, sometimes you can't make the appropriate shape changes that will shift your center of gravity, reduce the muscle activity in the bottom of your foot. So you can roll the bottom of your foot and actually get a change in the foot shape and the muscle activity. Then you got to roll stuff that's 
north of your feet, okay, to promote that shape change. And maybe this gives you a bit of opportunity that you can do activities that help you learn to manage your center of gravity better. And then you alleviate the problem that caused the symptom in the first place. Right. Stuff in your feet is usually a result of not the cause of. Yeah. Think about it like a chain reaction that runs from the center down to your foot. And then yeah. it's supposed to interact with the ground and then run back up. So just, there's sort of like a wave down into the ground and then back up. It's just that the wave doesn't really propagate or flow the way it's supposed to if things get sort of stuck into what right. orientations we're talking about from squeezing everything so much. Yeah, it's it, there's interference. And then usually where that interference lies tends to be an area of, of attention, if you will. Yeah. It draws your attention, whether it be um, a, a symptom or a, a shape change that ultimately results in a symptom. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, I think we've kind of covered everything that we wanted to cover, but I'll just, I'll make a couple of closing statements to try to wrap it up for people that foam rollers, you know, there's, we're talking about the pendulum swinging from people who want to use them for everything to people never using them at all. And now people are starting to use them again. At least that's my personal experience of, you know, having people do 45 minutes of foam rolling and not, and then do none of it. And now just target certain areas to try to capture these shape changes that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So people understanding that, but I think one of the biggest takeaways I want people to, to hear from what we're saying is it's a lot about what you do with the opportunity created from using the foam roller. It's not just using it in isolation and then all of a sudden your back is going to feel better. The reason why your back hurts is not because you weren't foam rolling. The reason why your back hurts is has to do with the specific activities and how Bill is saying you manage your center of gravity as maybe you're walking through space or as you go to pick up your, your dog's poop. Like what what are the what are the mechanical things that you're doing based on how your center of gravity is being shoved and pushed in different directions? That's the thing. Those are the things you need to address. address. So as Bill's saying, being able to bring your center of gravity back and then be able to kind of capture the inside as you push down through the ground. Those are the things that, I mean, we'll talk about shape change and and functional movements uh, as as we go forward and through everything. But it's knowing that, you know, this is a tool that we are going to use and why it is useful and that it shouldn't be done in isolation is really what the concluding statement I wanted to have was. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll tag out to, to Bill for his final thoughts. I, um, it's not good. It's not bad. It's how you use it ultimately. Right. Um, but I th- again, to, to reiterate, the most important thing to recognize is it's pr- to provide you an opportunity to do the next thing in most cases. There may be some people that will respond and say, all I ever had to do was this, and then they will feel better, but it tends to not be the law. Okay, We're using it as an adjunct to achieve another ultimate end. Boom. Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com, get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.